Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to part two of Incidentalomas. Last time I ended on the spleen, and I showed you a case of multiple splenic lesions, and we said this was aspergillosis. Now, you could say, how do we know that? This patient was immunosuppressed, however, and had a bone marrow transplant and developed multiple small splenic lesions. So even though it's an incidental finding, it's probably not an unsuspected finding because if you're looking for a source of fever, you're thinking about infection in the chest, you're thinking about liver abscess, splenic abscess, bone marrow transplant type processes involving bowel. So again, an incidentaloma is kind of a term that's relative. If you're looking for a history, you should be thinking of the possibilities that it's really not an incidentaloma. And so when I put down something like unsuspected pulmonary embolism, in many ways it's very similar. Now, rule out PE study, we're not talking about that case, but I'm talking about a case where I'm doing an abdominal CT and I pick up a PE. Then that's an incidental finding because it wasn't rule out PE. However, one of the things we learn is patients who are oncology patients, not uncommonly will have incidental PEs, one to 5%. In our experience, it's especially common in patients with pancreatic cancer. So in some ways you could say it's an incidental finding and in some ways you can say it's not an incidental finding. It's a possible finding you should think about in every case. And one of the things we found is when people look at the three by threes, the three millimeter thick sections every three, often P's aren't as well appreciated as they are at 0.75 by 0.5. And so a key thing is if you're doing an oncology patient, our rule is always make sure you look at the lungs, not just for lung nodules, particularly the bases, but look for the possibility of pulmonary embolism. So a high index of suspicion is critical in being able to come up with the right diagnosis. So again, it's an incidental finding, but perhaps it's really not that incidental. You can see it in one to 5% of cases. So you need to be thinking about it. It's interesting in my experience, and I've not written this up, that it's more common and almost always gonna be in the right lower lung and it's usually very clear. And it's interesting, so what I'll tell you is if you can look at the lungs carefully, just look at the right lung. That'll give you 95% accuracy, okay? Now, when we talk about um, incidentalomas, we also talk about radiation dose issues because we're always trying to minimize the dose to our patient. Now, low dose protocols in and, them, in and of themselves are typically not gonna be a problem, uh, but the worse the quality of the scan, the more likely you may have incidentalomas. You kind of worry about things maybe in the kidney and maybe in the liver and maybe in the spleen. So that is a challenge. Perhaps we're gonna overcall things because the quality of the studies are limited. Also, the fact that we've minimized the number of phases. Remember my rule is never do a phase you don't need, but make sure you do every phase that you do need. But with less you have less information, so things that maybe you would understand better with one more phase, you don't have the information, so it can be tricky. And again, it's this combination of things when you design protocols. The whole idea by Melvin Cohn is the right dose, don't make dose a risk factor that you're doing a bad CT scan. Now, when we go back to this incidentaloma thing, I think an important thing with incidentaloma is is to really, again, think about what you should be looking for, and this may help a lot of the problems. Also, in terms of how we look at things, mesenteric pathology, we've spoken about the role of multiplanar and 3D imaging and how if you don't do post-processing, you're gonna miss 15% of important findings. 
And we also commented in that article with Julie Chen that you need to look beyond the axial imaging. It's not an optional. And even if you're not doing 3D rendering and look at sagittal and coronal, however, that's kind of a minimum. And whether you're looking at things online via web access, however you do it on an iPad, an iPhone, you got to look at the stuff. Now, if I share a couple examples where the challenges are, looking at for vessel occlusion, older patients, one of the things you always think about is ischemic bowel. You got to think about that. Be it arterial or be it venous, can be arterial embolism or thrombosis. Again, we tend to look at the vessels and look proximally, although arterial embolism is usually in mid-vessel and thrombus more common to uh, proximal vessel. So here's a good example. You look at the patient's SMA, it's occluded proximally. Dense calcification, which you catch your eye in the axials, but it's very obvious in the sagittal and very obvious on the 3D. Patient had good flow through collaterals off the celiac through GDA, and this patient was managed conservatively. But what about this case, abdominal pain? It looks like a beautiful celiac and SMA, and this was read initially as negative because it looks so good. But look what happens when you look further down the vessel, and this is one of the great things. You need to be looking at the sagittals because the vessel looks so good, but distally, there's a thrombus in the SMA. There's no magic, it's there. Here it is in 3D. Here it is in 3D again, abrupt cutoff, classic. And this patient had this removed, and the patient did fine. If it infarcts the bowel, high morbidity, high mortality. So in cases, for example, of suspected ischemia, you have to make sure you look at the entire vessel. And I've seen a number of malpractice cases like this. I don't do malpractice cases, though I do look at cases for the MedChi or for Hopkins, and I've seen a number of cases which are really clarified by this explanation. I make the point that when you dictate the SMA, you could say the SMA was evaluated and no evidence of thrombus or stenosis was seen. And you could say the SMA was evaluated and no evidence of thrombus or stenosis was seen. However, comma, distal aspects of the SMA beyond the proximal 5CM were not well visualized and cannot be evaluated. And so unless you see the entire vessel, you can't comment on the entire vessel. That indeed is very important because you look at this case. It's, not, it's an outside case, dilated bowel. Why does patient have dilated bowel? It's an older patient. Ischemia is a possibility, adhesions, Another possibility, you look at the SMA and SMV on the image on your left, it looks great. And when you look quickly, the image on your right, it doesn't look so bad, but look at the SMA, it's not enhancing. And look at it in the coronal view, now you really see that bowel loop is really ugly, it's dilated, it's thick and prominent vasorecta. And when you look carefully at the axials, even alone, you see how the SMA goes from opacified to no opacification? That's occlusion. It's very subtle, but if you look at the sagittal, it's very obvious. So again, not to belabor a point, the comments we've made, unsuspected mesenteric arterial abnormalities may elude diagnosis when axial CTs alone are interpreted without 3D renderings, or surely at least sagittal renderings. And I do like that midline view because I think it's a great view for looking at things from SMA syndrome to vascular stenosis. I think it's a very helpful view in not overcalling or undercalling the presence of incidental lomas. We look, again, when we're trying to look at these images, you want to be, it's very important, get the right protocol. We always use thin sections so it makes it easier for us. 
The reason I make a big point about this is some things, abdominal pain, SMA syndrome, may only be recognized on the sagittal view. It can be seen with weight loss, nausea and vomiting. It's a complex findings, and we talk about the SMA angle. And patients can present with gastric outlet symptoms, and it's really SMA. So again, these incidental findings, again, the angle is narrowed less than 20 degrees. And here's this patient, good example, stomach's distended, duodenum's distended. There it is transitioning at the SMA with duodenum being dilated and then collapsed. And no great surprise, when you look very carefully on the coronal view, even with thick sections, you can see where the transition is. And it's no great surprise when you go to sagittal view, nothing. Look at the renal vein, it's compressed, nothing's passing. So again, very, very important diagnosis to make. Very tough patient to follow. We also talk about things in the soft tissue, and it's not uncommon to pick up incidental findings. And yes, when you do older patients, you can pick up osteoporosis with fractures, with collapse. Sometimes you pick up bone mets in a patient with no known primary, ends up as blastic mets from a prostate, for example. Blastic mets from a breast cancer that wasn't diagnosed. But again, you need to look very carefully. Incidental findings in musculoskeletal are often important. Osteophytes are not going to be important. Typically, DJD is not going to be important. But severe abdominal pain can be due to stenosis. I saw a great case last week of a patient who had severe back pain, thought it was stone disease and was being treated conservatively. It was a low-grade renal infection. They didn't get a CT, and the patient ended up with osteomyelitis, and their pain was related to compression of the spinal cord. They had to undergo surgery. So important to look at things carefully. Again, you're going to get around a lot of the issues that you can look at with axial images, not very impressed, but look at the sagittal, how impressed it is. And I do look at all of the images because soft tissue tumors can cause sciatic problems, for example, causing the patient's leg pain. So you wanna look very carefully. You also, in terms of incidental findings, need to be very careful. Sometimes you don't have a history, and patients who've had APRs, if you don't notice that, you can make a terrible mistake calling things. So, for example, in a male, you look at this presacral mass and you say, oh, my goodness, tumor. It's really the prostate falling posteriorly in a patient with an APR. Easy to see when you think about it. And again, here are two more views of that. The sagittal view nicely showing it to you. Again, well-defined. So, again, very important. Same thing is true in females. You do surgery, all of a sudden the uterus falls back and simulates a tumor. One of the last things I'll, I'll mention to you is pseudolesions, incidentalomas, and again, how do you manage them? You look at this case and you say, oh my goodness, there's a clot in the left atrial appendage. But when you look more carefully, you'll notice that it has a fluid fluid level. Anything with a fluid fluid level, you gotta not think about that being a thrombus, be it gallbladder, be it the, uh, in the bladder itself. And CT is really good for picking up atrial thrombus, but also you then will pick up pseudothrombus. And a good article, this article by her, made the point that CT is very, very strong, 100% sensitivity for picking up atrial thrombus, or left atrial thrombus. In this article, they were very successful. They didn't have false positives because they did a two-phase study. And that means they did a CTA, a cardiac, and then waited 30 seconds. And the 30 seconds later, 
the atriums were always opacified. So my rule is if you see a fluid fluid level, you better be thinking it's a thrombus. If you want to prove it, just simply get delayed scans at 30 seconds later. But again, it's a mistake you don't want to make. And you say, well, how do I know? Well, when you have thrombus, here's how it looks. That's big thrombus in the atrial appendage. And here's a small thrombus in the atrial appendage, but it's round. It's not that other appearance of a fluid fluid level. Here you can see there's a filling defect. And in this case, the patient also had renal infarcts. Now, a challenge for us is no doubt radiation. We need to get the lowest dose possible, yet maximize the information from the patient. And again, as we cut back phases, the number of incidentalomas, the number of unexplained findings is surely going to increase. We need to figure out ways of doing low-dose studies and getting the phases we need without causing any problems. Um, again, I mentioned this article by Mervyn Cohn is probably a good article to remember. If you need to get delayed scans, if you're uncertain about something, don't feel uncomfortable. The worst thing is not to answer the question or to be all of a sudden saying the patient has a lesion, the adrenal, we're not certain what it is, can't rule out malignancy, and you get a large workup for that patient. Again, we need to make confident and accurate diagnoses. So concluding then, 64 slice CT and beyond. Um, there's a lot of interesting things we can pick up. Uh, it's very important to understand that some of the pitfalls, some of the incidentalomas are things that can be solved going beyond the axial plane. Study protocols need to be optimized, remembering that even the best study protocol can have incidentalomas, particularly with single phase, and whether you're too early or too late, each of the phases has certain specific protocols. Multi-phase imaging tends to answer many questions and get around a lot of the problems with these um, pseudo-lesions. I think it's important also when you talk about incidentalomas, I think to me the incidentalomas and misdiagnosis tend to overlap. Often you see something that's incident incidentaloma and you call it something else and you made a misdiagnosis. So I think certain pitfalls, we have other lectures we've spoken about, we'll have new more in the future talking about some of the pitfalls in CT, the importance of how we look at images, your search strategy, Axials, coronal, sagittals, 3Ds are all become critical. Uh, I think there's a lot being developed in terms of workflow on many of the vendor scanners and PAC systems and workstations, and I think that will help alleviate some of the problem. But I think it is a challenge. Incidentalomas are a challenge, will stay a challenge for us. Again, being aware of many of the common incidentalomas will help you get around many of the problems. And with that, I thank you for your time, and I'll stop right there. Thanks a lot.